Hello, everyone, and welcome to The Heart of Sports. I'm Jason Springer, joined in studio this week by my co-hosts, Jeff Ruppberg and Ryan Strauss. Thrilled to be back with you this and every Sunday on 610 AM Sports ESPN Radio. Guys, another week has gone by. The NBA draft deadline has passed. Spring training is closer. I know you also went to some basketball this week, right? Yeah, Jeff, how are we Ru- doing? Rutgers versus Michigan. Uh, how did that Sorry, turn out? It was, a, it was a great game. I enjoyed it very much. Rutgers seemed close until the end. Right. They only lost by four points. It's the story of Rutgers, it close was, until the end. <laughs> I was hoping they'd go into uh, overtime, but they didn't. The rack's a fun place to see a basketball game, though, it right? It was a lot bigger than I was expecting, and people were into it. I enjoyed it, but Michigan basketball did score less points than Michigan football did against Rutgers. So that was your question. That. <laughs> that was your question to me last week. About and here we are. Who about who would score more? So I'll give you kudos on the Hey, win. it was a really close game and came right down to the end. They almost tied it up. It did. I was checking the score updates on my phone while uh, while I was feeding the baby and I saw that it, it was in, within four points and I was like, oh, this is kind of good. Maybe I can look for it on TV. And then I checked again and it was a final and they lost. <laughs> so I, I don't feel bad that I missed it. Jeff, um, are, how are we surviving the week? Is the warm weather getting you ready for baseball? Yes, baseball is back. They've, it's rescued us from the uh, 76ers who I can't understand. We're going to talk more about that later with a guest. Uh, but the Sixers... Can't, I can't understand what they're you're not, doing. You're not trusting the process no, anymore, No, I don't know. There's a new process now. It's called Tanking 2017. I wish they would just tell us that that's what they're doing. I, I, it's funny. I, I have more respect for Sam Hinkie, who at least came out and told you what he was going to do, than Colangelo, who's just kind of doing it. Except right now it's not exactly a tanking. It's more just planning for expiring contracts and positioning yourself for the long term. I don't necessarily agree with it, though. I, I actually think the more important word that we should focus on in that three-letter statement is trust, because trust. I've had a problem with um, their lack of honesty um, when it comes to the situations with some of the players. You, you now see Ben Simmons has questions about whether he'll come back after his latest scan. Joel Embiid's day-to-day injury is now going on five weeks, and he's not going to play till March. So those are the things that, that concern me is it's the little things. I, I don't mind if you're going to make trades, and we'll, we'll break down the trades in the third segment with our guest on the show. I don't mind if you make trades and try and look towards the future. Jeff, I know you're not totally thrilled with, with what happened. I'm not either, actually. I would they, pref- they traded for two injured centers. Uh, one of them, they want to buy his contract out. Are you having nightmare flashbacks? Nightmare flashback of like past Sixers injured centers that <laughs> yeah, like have been acquired. Jeff, like Jeff, Ruma, Jeff Ruland, Ruland, Andrew uh, Bynum. Andrew Bynum, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I mean, I don't think the intention is to really have either of those centers on the roster long term. It seemed like their value judgment. I don't necessarily agree with it. Was they weren't going to resign either player, and therefore something is better than nothing. I, uh, I would have preferred that they kept Noel and traded Okafor as opposed to keeping Okafor and trading Noel, but it seemed like the market wasn't there for Okafor. To me, I would have taken whatever I could get at that point and, and done the Noel-type deal. They, 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 got, they traded him for a box of chocolates and a, and a case of water. It's like, and, and two, two <laughs> draft picks, four draft picks, four second-round draft picks, basically. <laughs> and, and with the Sixers' inability to evaluate talent, it, 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 they may as well have gone to the nearest high school. A box of chocolates and a bottle of water. That was, that was good. <laughs> it's kind of like a draft pick. You know, you never know what you're going to get. That was good. Look, I, it, it, I wasn't terribly thrilled with it. We're, you have to have some faith, unfortunately, that they're going to know what to do. I don't. I really don't. I don't know who's driving the bus right now, who wants them to make trades, who doesn't. 
Colangelo comes out. He's supposed to talk again. We're taping this show on a Friday. He's supposed to talk in a little bit about what went on. We'll see. Uh, I I would like to see the Sixers as a good basketball team. I was a little surprised they didn't trade Sergio Rodriguez, actually. Um, I thought that he would have some value and is not probably a long-term piece for the team. I thought that, <sighs> that he would... I think TJ McConnell is the longer-term piece once they draft a point guard and a, and a shooting guard. So I just don't think that in the long run... Um, Chacho will be here. I mean, um, the thing isn't we're not tanking this year because we do have swap rights with Sacramento, so there's no incentive for us to try and well, lose. And let's talk about that for a second. Our swap rights got better because with the Cousins trade from Sacramento to New Orleans, Sacramento is basically in a tank now. So not only is this season your prospect improved, but that 2019 draft pick, if they're going through a three-year tank like the Sixers did to break it down and build it up, we have their, their 2019 draft pick. Now, again, it's very hard for fans who want to win to have to continue to wait. They've been, I mean, it's, it's unfortunate that they've been beaten down so much that you get excited about the prospect of a pick three years from now. Well, especially Nerlens Noel. He went through, he had to endure so many losses the last few years, and he was a part of this process. Do you know who the longest tenured sixter is now? Embiid. Joel Embiid. Wow. He is the longest tenured Philadelphia 76er. It's the turnover. Uh, Brett Brown said last year it was like uh, coaching a bunch of gypsies in and out. And you've had more stability this season in terms of not shuffling in and out of the roster. But in the end, um, you end up with a lot of turnover. I guess that's what happens as you go on and try and build a team. But I don't understand how they're doing it all the time. How about this new guard that they got, uh, uh, Anderson? Anderson. The fo- he's a forward. Um, he seemed to have, six. He seemed to have fallen out of favor in the rotation uh, there for but, them. But maybe he'll be good here if he's if he's hitting one third of all of his three point shots. That's good. the The report on him is that he's an athletic forward who can play solid defense and can shoot the ball. So you hope that he becomes a role player. Look, if you're going to eventually believe in the idea that Simmons and Embiid are going to be the stars of your team. You can't have five stars. You got to have some people who know their roles. And maybe he becomes that wing player who can play solid defense and lock down somebody and hit the shot when it's kicked out from Simmons or Embiid. But there's five people on the court at one time. Yes. <clears throat> Pardon me. So they have to have other people that can score and play defense. Well, they do, but they didn't um, trade away any shooters either. They didn't acquire them, but they didn't trade any because they don't really have them to get right now. That's something that they're going to have to address in the draft. And the the good thing about that is everything you read is this is a really deep guard draft. Oh, yeah. I mean, if this draft goes well for us, we're going to have the first and fourth pick, assuming the Lakers pick goes our way. Obviously, it's hard to tell what's going to happen with the draft, but I really think there's a lot that goes on behind the scenes with these trades the NBA, one player is so impactful to a team. It's a different nature of team building than other sports. And when you hear all these rumors throughout the week, it really just makes you think, like, what if I was the GM, right? Well, like, what would you do? If, well, you, if you were the GM, what would you both have done at the deadline? Would you have kept Noel and Ilyasova and tried to sign them both? Would, Def, that would be your long-term plan. You yes, would have signed them both. I would have. Okay, Ryan, what would you have done? Well, I think it's important to recognize the economics in the NBA right now and the situation in terms of how quickly the salaries are rising. So year to year, the trend you're seeing at the trade deadline is teams are 
trading expiring contracts like they've always have but the value that you're receiving back for that is so low because the amount of money that these players are getting is going up and up and up i think nerlens noel is a unique player he is athletic agile can defend and has a improving offensive game is only 22 years old would he have cost about a hundred million dollars to keep him around here for the long term yes would that have been worth it for him I think it's important to remember that Joel Embiid might not ever be able to play an 82-game season, and that's something you have to take account of. I mean, look, they're they're trying to go all in on building around Simmons and Embiid, but I think Nerlens Noel was too valuable of a player to get rid of. So you would have signed Noel as an insurance policy, as well, much also, as a player. You would have you would have had him as in the scenario that the health of a player does not work out. You still have somebody who can be there and do well, that. It's more than that. I think that he was actually an integral part of the chemistry that was building of the team, just because he's he'd been around here for so long, and now that that's gone, combined with the presence he was providing on the defensive end and the impact he had in the game, you never saw. Uh, Noel play with Embiid they only played together for seven combined minutes I thought it was complete missed opportunity by the Sixers you had the chance to see which pieces fit together and you played games and never made it happen right Noel never played with Embiid more than eight minutes not for a consistent period of time same thing with Okafor you have to figure out whether these pieces fit it's great to say we drafted these people and this is the draft pick and where they were, but if they don't have that value on your team in the long term, then they're not worth what the draft pick was. And Noel is going to get a chance to be the starting center for the Mavericks now. He's in a great situation. Oh, my gosh. And they'll sign him again and they'll do well with him. And, and he'll come back and haunt the, haunt the Sixers. Well, it's what we thought would happen with Okafor. We thought they'd trade Okafor. <laughs> Everybody talked about Boston. And then for the next 10 years, she would be playing against him and he'd be doing stuff. That was the argument against trading Okafor. Now, I, again, I happen to believe that in the end, he will not fit into the type of game that Ben Simmons and Joel Embiid are going to play. He's too slow. He's not aggressive enough on defense. He doesn't go for the rebound with the aggressiveness I'd like to see. It's just not the presence. I don't think he's anything more than a backup center on this team. Okafor. Yes. But, but Noel could have—Noel plays defense. I, I think you could have played Noel at the four and, and beat at the five and had Noel as sort of your rim protector— <coughs> presence to come over on the help defense with Embiid he could play aggressive defense he could be there for the shot that's passed over well particularly because you saw with Ilyasova when he was playing here for 53 games the kind of impact that he had and his role and fitting into that larger puzzle that we talk about building a team in basketball has a different nature than other sports I mean we've seen in the last few years how much losing there's been and the amount of cohesion that's needed Unless you have a superstar, which, I mean, we don't have that as a scorer yet. So you need a stretch for Ilyasova provided that night and night out. And I don't think he would have necessarily been that expensive. So in that sense, you know, I'm, I'm also disappointed that we had traded him. You know, I really think that if they had kept Noel, kept Ilyasova, tried to commit them to contracts, they have enough draft picks in the next few years to draft guards and to kind of let the team uh come together cohesively and build it but now the the process just feels like it's been twisted a little bit 
Well, it's a it's a different owner of said process now, and uh, the fans will still see how it works out. We'll talk more about it in the third segment, but let's move on to baseball a little bit. Uh, Phillies the, Yankees today. Phillies Yankees. It's a Friday afternoon that we're taping the show. Uh, I will be watching the game. Uh, will you be watching? Sure. I will find oh, it yeah. someplace. I will listen to the audio. MLB Network. Whatever it is, I will, uh, because that's just what we do. The, the, the Phillies have a good lineup, potentially, but so does the Lehigh Valley um, Iron Pigs, pardon my voice. Who are you more excited to watch this year, Ryan, the Iron Pigs or the Phillies? The Phillies. However, the, it's worth noting that the Iron Pigs have enough talent on their roster to potentially be one of the best AAA minor league teams in the history of the International League, which has been around for many, many years. Will that make Major League fans feel any better? No. Uh, no more than the uh, uh, 76ers have all these assets that are now in college. That's the bad word for you, Jeff. Assets. Right. That's, that's, uh, that's what the Phillies, but the Phillies have been doing this for a couple of years now and, and have built up a heck of a lineup for uh, AAA. So a lot of the players that you want to see at the major league level, Jeff, that, that you've talked about on previous shows are in that Iron Pigs lineup. Yes. They're there. And are you going to go out and see any games to go see them? Or? I'd like to have, have cousins in Allentown. Yeah. I'm talking I mean, about it for years. You'll have to give us a report when you do it's everything that we've heard will end up being there with this team will end up being at the major league level is right there so close to us right now. It's just amazing how it is. A lot of, a lot of them have had some experience with uh, the Phillies like Roman Quinn and, um, and Alfaro and uh, who else? Um, the pitchers. Dylan Cousins and Reese Hots. Well, they, they have they've, they've been uh, down. Jake Thompson. Yeah, but Jake Thompson, uh, Zach Eflin, Alec uh, Asher, Ben Lively, Pavetta. That's some of them have had have been up, and some of them are are going to be up. So I think the Phillies have done a good thing in not thrusting those guys directly into the spotlight, and they're going to allow them the chance to develop at the AAA level this season, which is actually a very competitive league. So you know, rather than the Phillies, I think with Franco and some of their other prospects rush them along a little bit. But it's important, you know, if we want to, if people want to have a chance of getting to 500, the Phillies have addressed that, and that's why they've signed uh, Neshek and veteran bats like Kendrick and Saunders rather than, like, thrusting Quinn and Nick Williams and Cousins into these corner outfitter spots when you don't know if they're major league ready. I think you're going to see them leave the, the kids at AAA. Uh, to start the season, and if the Phillies are playing well, then they'll hold on to the players they have and make a decision then. And if they're not, which I think the Phillies have been most honest about them not actually expecting to compete this year. They acknowledge that their players are on the come here. So I think what you'll end up seeing at the trade deadline is if they're not in it, then maybe they shipped some of those players off and some of the young players come up midseason. Ryan, you want to make a last point before we had the break with Jeff? Yeah, I've just noticed that in the national media, it seems like there's a lot more optimism around the Phillies than there is here in Philadelphia. Uh, people seem to like the Clay Buckholtz addition as well and some of the veteran additions that I mentioned. So that's promising and you know who maybe the Phillies can finish in third place we're on the radio but um I've got my surprised face on that the Phillies fans are not hopeful for what they're they're going to have here's the thing this is the first year in a long time that there's actually no star on the team the star of the organization is the Philadelphia fanatic that's right just let that sink in for a minute (laughs) Ryan Howard is still a free agent he is a free agent Jeff we'll talk about that another day go ahead you're listening to the heart of sports on 6 10 a.m sports time for our, our first break 
When we return, we'll be talking to Coach Greg Hughes of Princeton University about analytics. Stay right with us. Let me tell you, buying or selling a home is a life-changing decision. Whether you're looking for your first home or searching for your forever home, Ann Coons is the realtor you need. In fact, she helped my wife and I settle into our forever home. With over 30 years helping satisfied clients buy and sell homes in the Delaware Valley, Ann Coons will give you the professional and reliable service you deserve. When it's time to buy or sell a home in South Jersey or Philadelphia, contact Ann Coons, the only name you need to know in real estate. You can call Ann Coons today at 856-795-4709. Again, that's 856-795-4709. Or learn more on the web at www.annkoonsrealestate.com. Are you looking for a lifeline? Verizon New Jersey Shares Communication Lifeline is a statewide nonprofit that provides assistance to individuals and families living in New Jersey, those who are in need of temporary help in paying their communication and energy bills. Want to know how to apply? All you need to do is call Verizon New Jersey Shares at 1-888-337-3339 or visit on the web at www.newjerseyshares.org. It's quick and easy to sign up, but remember, you must be a Verizon Residential Landline customer to apply for eligible programs. That's Verizon New Jersey Shares, keeping the lines of communication open for you and your family. And we're back. This is the Heart of Sports on 610 AM Sports. I'm Jeff Rutberg, along with Jason Springer and Ryan Strauss. Let me introduce Greg Hughes, the coach of the men's Varsity 8's crew team at Princeton University. Coach Hughes is also the head coach of Special Olympics New Jersey rowing team at Princeton and is a returning guest on the Heart of Sports. Welcome back, Coach Hughes. Well, thank you very much for having me. How you doing today, Coach? Everything going well with the... Princeton team there? Yeah, it is. It is. It's uh it's a pretty interesting winter. It's uh not very often that it's seventy four degrees in February. I was gonna say your 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 people must be loving it. They get to be out in the good weather for this. Yeah, no, it's uh it's a it's a nice treat. Rather than um that today we're gonna talk with you about analytics a little bit for our listeners. So I'll let Jeff dive into it and start right off for us. So yeah, coach how, how do you define analytics in regard to athletic performance? Yeah, I, mean, I think that's a great question. I, I think uh, you can look at it uh, a lot of different ways, but I, I think for us, what we're trying to do is better understand uh, how people's performances define their improvement. Uh, and so, you know, you can start to measure lots of different things in different ways starting first with time but uh, and, and how they can how fast they can go over a certain distance but then you can also start to look at the way that they produce those results I, I think that's sort of the big thing helping people understand how they uh, how they perform so that they can have better performances more often 
So we talk about performance, and I am the father of a now three-week-old baby, and um, I'm going to ask you a question about sleep, which I know very little about at this point. Uh, how, does, how does the lack of sleep affect the performance of your athletes, or in this case, of tired dads? Well, I think it, it, as a tired dad, you probably know now uh, how it perfects your, uh, affects your performance. Oh, but, yeah. <laughs> I mean, that's an awesome question. And look, co- coaching college kids, we talk about it a lot because I, I think it is one of those, uh, one of those things that uh, uh, lack of sleep, uh, it builds slowly and you don't necessarily notice the effects of it. Until you actually t- start to measure it a little bit, and one of the things that we've actually noticed is um, very simply we we do uh, we do a daily survey here with our athletes, and we ask them in that survey every day how many hours did you sleep last night, and how well did did you sleep last night, and just by being asked that simple question, we've been able to improve our athletes' uh, nightly sleep by one and a half to two hours from six to around seven to eight hours. And we've noticed that they improve their performances in, in doing that. I may call Um, you after the show for some tips. Yeah. 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 Well, and I think, I think that, you know, a big part of uh, improving your sleep performance is uh, making sure that you're ready to go to bed. And I think that in this day and age, one of the things we found with college kids, especially uh, the things that you have in your daily life, like your your phone or any other screen that is on uh, when you're trying to go to sleep, if you think that you're going to read yourself to sleep off your iPad or your phone, it's actually not really a good idea. It creates stimulation that uh, limits your ability to, to fall asleep well, quickly, and to have good sleep. If, so, if, oh, I'm sorry. Go ahead. No, yeah, so I think some of those skills, learning some of those things and helping uh, implement them on the team have been a, been a big part of it. And if you improve their sleep, you'll improve their performance on the lake, but you'll also improve their, they'll also improve their academic performance. Absolutely. Well, you know, you know I think uh, you know, we have a saying here that we, we use quite a lot, how you do anything is how you do everything. <laughs> and and I, I think what, what you realize is that performance is performance. And uh, things that you implement in your life to improve your athletic performance, that's just improving your performance in general. And it, it, it improves your lifestyle. It improves your quality of life. And I think those things are really, really important. And uh, you, you're part of something called the High Performance Initiative at Princeton. Could you tell us what, what your role is with this committee? And what yeah, the committee, yeah, uh, absolutely. So, it's, you know, it's, it's something that it's, it's very much uh, uh, a new creation here within the athletic department. Um, and, and really the, the initial goal of it is to develop knowledge and collaboration amongst all of the coaches here. So one of the things that's great about Princeton is uh, we have a very large and strong athletic department. We've got 37 varsity sports uh, there are uh, nearly 1,100 uh, student athletes of the 4,400 total undergraduates. So it's impressive. A lot of kids are uh, involved at a very high level athletically. Coaching staff as well is uh, is quite impressive. One of the things that we've noticed is that we're so busy 
that we often don't share ideas. And so a big part of the high performance initiative is to get the coaches to share their knowledge and their experience and then to collaborate on these particular kinds of ideas. So how does sleep uh, affect performance? How do you improve sleep in an environment like Princeton? How do we do that? And I might know uh, a few things, and there's other people here that can help me learn more, and that's really a big part of the goal. And then the second part of it is to try to share that out into the broader Princeton community. There's great minds in athletics. There's also great minds here in engineering and uh, in math and in history and in economics. (laughs) There's so many smart people here. And trying to get the chance to learn from all of those people and improve performance for everybody at Princeton is really our, our, our big, dreamy goal. Good, go ahead, Ryan. Can you talk a little bit about analytics across other college sports and to the extent to which is permeated college athletics in general? Yeah, you know, I, I think um, one of the things that you're seeing is uh, – starting to try to measure how people perform over time and then understand that. So, you know, I think quite often you would look day to day, right? How did somebody do today versus yesterday? And you see if they've done better or done the same, right? You're trying to measure that performance. I think what we're able to do now is measure and record performance in a way that allows us to look back a month two months, six months, and see in a more linear way how people are getting better. And that allows you to find ways to train your athletes in, in more effective ways, not overtrain them. I think that's one of the biggest things in college athletics today. Uh, the goal isn't just to do more. Uh, I, I think we're already doing a lot. I think the goal is to be more effective and more efficient with the quality of the work that you do. And I think that's where analytics has really played a big part. Um, Uh, Understanding that... Coach, along this... I'm sorry. I'm sorry to cut you off. No worries. Go ahead. Uh, But along this line, how does analytics uh, study how people in boats move in the water, for example? Yeah, I mean, that's that's an awesome question. So, you know, historically what we would measure is we'd measure time, right? We would say, okay, we're going to go and run a boat over 1,500 meters, and we're going to measure how long the crew takes to go down that course. Now what we can actually measure is uh, we can measure exactly what, how each person is applying force uh, against the oar. We can measure that uh, through the stroke. We're collecting 200 data points 100 times a second on how they are applying their horsepower in the rowing stroke. We're also measuring how the boat is accelerating and decelerating. So think about the GPS watch that a lot of people wear when they go out for a run. And it's giving them their pace. What that GPS watch is doing is giving them their pace measured once every three seconds. What we're now doing is measuring the speed and acceleration of the boat 100 times a second. So we see how it's accelerating through the stroke and where we are really moving the boat well, where we could find room to improve it. And those are the things that are becoming really, really useful in rowing and lots of other sports. 
So obviously athletes want to perform at their best, and you're giving them the opportunity to do that. But how do you get them to buy in? You're asking college students who want to enjoy the college life to basically give up some of the things they might go to to go to sleep. You're asking them to kind of make lifestyle changes that you know and they most likely know will benefit them in the long run. But to get there, what's that process like to get them to buy in? Yeah, and and you use the key word. Uh, You said opportunity. And that's how we talk about it. Uh, it, what we're looking for when we're using this stuff is opportunities for improvement. And uh, I think it's really important to understand that this is just one of many possible tools available, and you cannot let it replace the art of coaching. As a coach, you're a coach, and there's a lot of uh, interaction there and um, developing a relationship. And every single athlete has different things, uh, different ways they learn. And so ultimately we use this as another tool. It's really great uh, for athletes, but in different ways. And so I think that's, that's a big part of it. And we never use it as a, uh, as a monitor. This is not something that we're going to use to hold somebody quote-unquote accountable. It's really trying to use it as another tool that says, hey, look, we've been talking about this particular technical aspect to your rowing stroke as an example and here's another uh way for us to look at it we can look at it in graph form uh or in application form just to help them understand it in the way that suits them best and usually there is a lot of buy-in i think the big part is making sure that we don't give them too much information because you could you could you could basically get lost in the data and you can let the data sort of paralyze you. And that's not the goal, right? The so, goal is to allow people to find growth. So for so those of them that are worried about that, it's not like if they don't go to bed early the night before, they're going to come in the next day and you're going to have a graph that says, hey, you lost two hours of sleep last night and there's a punishment for it. It's more of a moving them in the direction of trying to make the best decisions that will make them the best athlete that performs at their highest potential for your team, correct? Absolutely. So, you know, look, we, we collect this survey data from them every day, um, and very rarely do I actually talk to any of them about it. More it's just learning about it. And then it, a lot of times it creates a conversation from them. They are they're sub, sub, supplying the data, right? And so they'll actually see it and they'll say, you know what, Coach, I, I'm now realizing I probably – haven't been as good about this as I should have been, what, sh- what should I be thinking about? What, what are the tips? It creates a conversation, and it, and it starts the conversation with sort of like a, an objective data perspective. So we've got something where that begins the conversation, and um, it, I think that's extremely valuable. The, the kids are bright. They're engaged. They want to get better. I think the key is being able to find the few things that help us measure that so that we know that we're making some gains. And, and sometimes, quite honestly, we realize we didn't take a game. And so there's a question there, too. And that's totally okay. Uh, and it's not uncommon for us to you know, measure something and see some sort of wacky data point. And the kid will come up and ask us, and what's going on here? And my answer is, I don't know. <laughs> it means nothing. Don't worry about it. 
Uh, we're to- just aside. We're talking to Coach Greg Hughes from Princeton University, the men's rowing coach. Uh, let me ask you, Coach, how do you collaborate with a biomechanist, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, she's uh, f- uh, I, I international. Can, I can barely say that, by the way. So I'm <laughs> glad you're able to do that. How, how how does she help you? Because basically, this is um, uh, Princeton is known for mathematics, science, and engineering. This fits right in. So you're collaborating with not only only other coaches, but with international uh, researchers. Yes. Yeah. And and so. Um, it, this relationship started for me probably four years ago. So the, the biomechanist that I work with is a woman named Connie Draper, and uh, she's currently based over in Switzerland. Uh, but um, she uh, earned her PhD and did a lot of her research work down in Australia at the Australian Institute for Sport. And while she was down there, one of the sports that she spent a lot of time working with was, uh, was the rowing team down in Australia and developed a lot of um, the the uh, algorithms and templates that we now use to measure the data points that we like to look at in the rowing stroke. And um, for me, one of the reasons that I started looking into this stuff in the sport of rowing was that I got to a point in my coaching career where I felt like I wasn't, uh, I needed to be more creative. I was asking my athletes every day, go out and take risk and to push themselves and, and to maybe slip up a little bit. Uh, and I wasn't doing the same thing. I needed to actually go and, and, and push my knowledge and try to understand my sport more. And that's when I reached out to Connie. Um, she's the best in the business at understanding the mechanics uh, from, a, from a, a biomechanical standpoint uh, on the rowing stroke. And she's also really uh, great to work with because she'll spend time with me watching the way that I coach my crews and then say, look, we can collect these 200 data points, but here's the eight that are going to be most beneficial for you in the way that you communicate with your athletes and the things that you're trying to get them to understand. And so that's where the relationship started in in, in trying to learn more about that. Uh, And it's been great. I mean, like for me, it's opened up my uh my eyes to the fact that i need to continue to learn and um and understand my sport better uh you'll probably see some of the results of this research next week during the crash peas competition at uh, princeton yeah yeah no and i I think one of the things that we are uh, really looking at um is how how to get maximum performance out of our athletes And and i think at the crash P that's a great one, right? It's an individual effort on the machine and uh, the guys are going to get the chance to, to show what we've, we've learned over the past few months. Could, could you explain what the crash P's are to uh, our listeners? Uh, it's something yeah, that uh, it, it, it goes on to different uh, colleges too, right? Yeah, it does. And it, you know, it, it, it's, uh, it, it's a, it's a, it's an exercise in, in masochism, I guess <laughs> <laughs> it, it is. Uh, anybody who's been in the gym and has seen uh, the Concept 2 rowing machine or has gone to a CrossFit gym, I mean, there's staples in in the CrossFit world. Uh, it, we do a 2,000-meter max effort. It's about a six-minute effort on the machine. Uh, and at the end, you're usually scraping them off the floor. Um, <laughs> and uh, it, it, 
it's great because we do it. Uh, we set up the boathouse so that uh, the the herbs are on display. It draws a huge crowd, and uh, kids come down from campus and watch all of their friends get after it on the machine. And then uh, <laughs> uh, normally uh, uh, throw up their breakfast on the, on the floor <laughs> when they're done. <laughs> well, well, if that doesn't make our listeners want to go, <laughs> I don't know what. Well, if I could just ask you one more question before we uh, we let you go and, and wish yeah, you, you luck this weekend with it. But can you talk about the role of analytics with injuries and recovery? Um, we see athletes trying to come back. Um, we see it with the Sixers right now with athletes in recovery and trying to make the right decision for the athlete at the right time. What role does analytics have in that process of bringing an athlete back when they are injured? Yeah, and look, I think this is an awesome question. I think this is really getting to the heart of what we're all trying to, to get better with in using this stuff. Uh, I think it, it, it's, it, it's playing a, a huge part. I think in training, there's always a uh, a hard workload and a heavy workload. That's really what training is. You need to overload the system, right? But I think the key is understanding hard training versus overtraining. And it's a fine line and it's different for every single athlete. And so what I think analytics is allowing us to do here is to better find that line for each individual when we're coaching a bigger team and make sure that we don't push someone over the limit. And that's the goal. So I think it, 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 this is where it's going in sport. And, you know, look at the Sixers level. I think at a professional level, they're probably doing it way better than I am. Um, it's still not an exact science. It's hard. Well, and you saw <laughs> and Chip Kelly try and implement it when he was here with the Eagles as the coach. And, you right. know, so I wonder, do you get pushback there was you know we can separate chip kelly the coach from chip kelly the methods do you get yep. pushback when you try to implement these new theories of sleep and monitoring or or is it generally more accepted at this point because people see the inherent benefit in the end you know and i, I think it, and so i think a big part of it is in the messaging and and how you engage the athletes in the process and so for me that's like it, it has to be a positive it has to be and, and look, there are a few athletes in my program that I do not use this stuff with at all because just of the way their personality is, and it's not right for them. And But I think it, that's got to be the goal. Well, we wish you the best of luck. Jeff, you want to take us out? Yeah, thank you, Coach Greg, for uh, taking the time to talk with us today about analytics and how it gives your crew team an extra edge in competition, not only your team, but uh, the other 36 uh, varsity sports at Princeton. I can see why you, uh, so many uh, uh, players go on to the uh, professional uh, ranks. Unfortunately, there is no professional uh, role for rowing, except maybe the Olympics, right? That's correct, okay. yeah. That's, and that's, that's the big goal. And, and I'm glad that uh, you were able to come on today and, um, and thank you also for including the uh, New Jersey Special Olympics uh, group in the Crash Peas next week. And we well, wish thank you. Oh, you're, go ahead. Yeah, well, thank you very much for having me. Uh, you're welcome. Uh, thank you. And we wish you well uh, in this, uh, not only with the competition next week, but also uh, in the season, too. Great. Thank you so much. You're welcome. Thank you. Bye-bye. Mm, bye-bye. All right. You're listening to The Heart of Sports on 610 AM Sports. When we come back, we'll talk more about the Phillies, about the 76ers, 
And uh, we'll talk a little Flyers, flyers. too. Talk a little fly, fly, oh, the Flyers are still playing too, right? They're playing outdoors on Saturday night again. We're recording this on Sat- on Friday for our listeners, so by the time you hear it, the game will be over. But they are playing outdoors at Pittsburgh, and my son and I will be watching. We'll be back quick. Let me tell you, buying or selling a home is a life-changing decision. Whether you're looking for your first home or searching for your forever home, Ann Coons is the realtor you need. In fact, she helped my wife and I settle into our forever home. With over 30 years helping satisfied clients buy and sell homes in the Delaware Valley, Ann Coons will give you the professional and reliable service you deserve. When it's time to buy or sell a home in South Jersey or Philadelphia, contact Ann Coons, the only name you need to know in real estate. You can call Ann Coons today at 856-795-4709. Again, that's 856-795-4709. Or learn more on the web at www.annkoonsrealestate.com. Are you looking for a lifeline? Verizon New Jersey Shares Communication Lifeline is a statewide nonprofit that provides assistance to individuals and families living in New Jersey, those who are in need of temporary help in paying their communication and energy bills. Want to know how to apply? All you need to do is call Verizon New Jersey Shares at 1-888-337-3339 or visit on the web at www.NewJerseyShares.org. It's quick and easy to sign up, but remember, you must be a Verizon Residential Landline customer to apply for eligible programs. That's Verizon New Jersey Shares, keeping the lines of communication open for you and your family. And we're back. This is the Heart of Sports on 610 AM. I'm Jeff Rutberg with Jason Springer and Ryan Strauss. And we told our listeners we're recording this on Friday. So while we went to break, Brian Colangelo actually held a press conference. And among the things he said is that Ben Simmons will not be playing on the Sixers uh, on the court this season. Jeff, how are you feeling about trusting the process? I don't trust anything that the Sixers <laughs> do. can't trust what they say. You can't trust that uh, somebody has an injury and may be back. People, look at all those people that bought tickets expecting Embiid to play with Simmons, and now they're going to a game that uh, they may as well watch a, a college game there or are, a high school game. There are some people who I listened to on stations during the this week and past week that believe that they held the Simmons news until after the season ticket deadline passed, actually. There are some fans who believe that theory. Uh, the economics are difficult for them. They were having some excitement back in the building and now all of a sudden you're back to breaking down your team and your star player is going to be out for a full season with an injury it, it tests the faith of the fans who continue to try and wait for you to do what you say you're going to do they're tanking again they're tanking look three weeks ago they were just four games out of a, the last playoff spot and now they've traded uh, their best defensive player noel Right, and they've and they've tra- traded Osova, who could score. And what are you doing? What are you doing? So in general, I'm anti-tank, but we talked about this on previous shows. I had no illusions that they were going to make the playoffs. I didn't think it was going to happen. I wanted to see them play down the stretch with Simmons and Embiid playing together, so that we could see what type of pieces would fit. But if that's not going to happen, and you know Simmons, then they must have known. Simmons wasn't going to come back and that these things were going to happen and Embiid's still going to be out. And so I guess management made the decision of, well, why are we going to keep those pieces on the team 
if we can get something for them. Now, again, the Sixers draft history is questionable at best. So it's a leap of faith to believe that all of these assets as picks that have been acquired are going to work out. The hope is that there's some can't miss people in the draft and they fall into something. Right. Yeah. I mean, I mean you, don't, you, you don't even know where the Sixers are going to be drafting. No. Uh, and look, last year they had a number one pick and they'll be drafting in the draft. They'll be drafting in the draft. That's right. The other thing is that uh, Villanova lost they the did. other day and uh, who knows where they'll end up in the bracket. Well, you, you've had a bunch of teams in the, in the 20, um, in the top 25 lose. And so I think you're going to see some shakeups in the rankings um, but separate from that, before we go back to college, I just want to touch real fast. I know Ryan watched the NBA All-Star game. Jeff, did you watch that game? No. No, no okay. not so, at all. So the, Ryan the, is angry. The, the Sixers were not uh, represented, I was okay. I, which I watch it. I was okay with that because the only representation would have been Embiid, and I don't want him out of bubble wrap right now. But <laughs> Maybe Ryan, Ben Simmons should have played in the All-Star no, game. No, Ben college. Simmons should have gone nowhere near anything. He also should be in bubble wrap at this point. But Ryan... You were dissatisfied with the game itself. I was dissatisfied with the whole weekend. So I'll let you go first, and then I'll follow up. I just found it disappointing. I remember when Allen Iverson would play in the All-Star game years ago. You know, they wouldn't play defense for most of the game. What's defense? At least in the fourth quarter, you saw competitiveness, and you saw a will to want to win the game. Like, there was an actual pride in winning the All-Star game or competitiveness from the players and this year you really didn't see that at all 190 points even in isn't the, defense even in the fourth 190 could you points. even score that in a video game if you tried so on 12 minute quarters no. so if we're talking about video games for a second um i did think it was funny that after sacramento made the demarcus cousins trade that a user in NBA 2K7 tried to make the actual trade that was done and it was rejected by the league manager. <laughs> so that that I laughed about. But they, they, the whole weekend was a disappointment. The slam dunk contest was boring. The three-point shootout was terrible. The It just, there was nothing... You see, I felt back in the day the slam dunk contest was a lot better. I loved it. Is it just that our expectations have gotten so much better? Well, look, I mean, I think part of it is overexposure. You know, you see all these players on TV with their highlight dunks, so it's not a surprise. You've also got not necessarily your star players with the cachet. You know, we talk about the Phillies with the Fanatic as their star. Who was the star player in the dunk contest? It's a bunch of NBA players that are good with talent. Glenn Robinson the third, but but not your marquee players that would draw a name to it. The most marquee player that did anything was Clay Thompson in the three-point shootout, and he didn't make it past the first round. And I thought the best thing that they did through the whole thing was raising money for Craig Sager on Saturday night where they had a bunch of people come out and shoot baskets to donate like $500,000 to to charity for research. So I thought that was the best thing they did. But other than that, I found the whole weekend disappointing. I found the game woefully inadequate, even from all-star game standards. It, it this, The biggest story of that game that the media made into something was whether Russell Westbrook would be able to pass to Kevin Durant as if they're children that don't know how to share a ball because they decided to leave and not play together anymore. It was made up into this huge thing, and then all of a sudden the players are celebrating after there was a pass, and it's, it's like, It felt like cares? I was watching a practice. It, well, you were watching a practice. To the point where there, the lack of competitiveness was so apparent that it, in my eyes, just doesn't look good for the league. You were watching an organized scrimmage. It was not... I think the league's going to need to continue to look for it because... I don't understand why somebody comes back to watch it if that's the product that you're putting out. You know, I don't know what you're talking about <laughs> regarding regarding dunking. 
years ago when Chamberlain and Russell and those guys were around, they were the only ones that were really tall enough to dunk. Mm -hmm. I think they should have uh, raised the uh, rim to at least 11 feet or 12 feet. Then we'll see who can dunk. The other thing, too, regarding a, what was it, 192 to 182? Mm -hmm. Um, that's like NASCAR scores. It, How fast was he go? 200 miles an hour over here, 150 over here. So, so a hundred, that's ridiculous. It, it's like, it's not an, even a scrimmage. It's the game wasn't anywhere close to reality. The dunk contest, one of the players had a drone that dropped a basketball that was supposed to bounce at the right height for him to catch it and then dunk. I, I get it. You're trying to have fun. You're trying to do things for the fans. But if the drone doesn't work on three tries, stop putting the ball back in the drone and just get over it and move on. Like, great, fun idea. Okay, it's not what I want to see. I want to see creativity and athleticism. I want to see people doing things that make me want to sit and watch my TV. And dunking over three people when you push off of the one guy's shoulder isn't going to do it. Now, I'm 5'6 and get nowhere near the rim on a good right. day if I'm on a trampoline. Right. So I have no room to talk about dunking for anybody. But as somebody who watches a lot of highlights in dunking, I've seen much better on YouTube from amateurs playing than I did in the NBA All-Star competition that Saturday night. The Phillies had a, uh, a promotion years ago to, for the opening pitch. Guy came in uh, on a hang glider <laughs> or a parachute to, to drop the first ball, to give, get, hand the first ball to the pitcher. And it missed. He missed one time and ended up in the stands. <laughs> <No>. <laughs> well, you get a souvenir when you come to the game. That's why they have the note on the back of the ticket that anything that comes into the stands, you have to be careful. It may be a guy gliding in. The, the irony is there was actually better dunks in the all-star game that looked like a scrimmage than there was in the dunk competition itself. So that was the, the frustrating part about that. And so, so the, the NBA All-Star game wasn't anything. The 76ers aren't anything. Why don't we go on to the Flyers now? Because they've been something lately? Yeah, they're, they're still, aren't they still over 500? They are playing mm -hmm. hockey. Yeah, they're playing hockey. <laughs> they That's playing. about it. <laughs> the Flyers, they have to decide what they're going to do. They're coming up on the trade deadline. I think that they have some players that they're going to try and move. Um, clear a little cap space, try and have some of the younger players come up. But this has been disappointing for the Flyers in that they haven't been able to sustain the ability to score a lot at times. Their defense has been shoddy. Uh, it's just been disappointing to watch as a fan. It looks like Neuvirth is actually the number one at this point. He's playing better and more of the games. I will say I love outdoor hockey. I think the NHL is overdoing it a little bit at this point in terms of overexposing it. But I'm looking forward to seeing a hockey game in a football stadium and the camera views on a Saturday night. Uh, this Saturday night, it's in it's at Heinz Field, oh, Heinz Field in okay. Pittsburgh, and so you're going to have an open-ended football stadium basically at night with potential weather factoring <laughs> in. It's like sixty-something degrees outside. I wonder what the condition of the ice will be. Oh. Then it might rain. So I have no idea what we're going to see. But my son and I will be there. He's already got his flyer socks on today. Your son's going to be there? No, we'll be sitting in a chair at our house. Probably he'll be having a bottle and crying, <laughs> and, I'll, and I'll be there just trying to watch like a little bit of the game. But he's got his flyer socks on today, and he's ready to root on the team. And when the ice melts, it'll be like a, a water polo game. It's going to turn into something. Look, they have to sell advertising for something, so. It will end up. Uh, are do you guys like watching outdoor hockey? You a fan? Make a point to do it. Um, no, it, it's, no. It, it used to be a novelty, but it's happening so often now that I, it's just another game to me. I would want to go to an outdoor hockey game, but um, but I also love I love the way it looks when it's outdoors and cold. Well, well, 
Princeton University has a uh, hockey team. They send a lot of their players to the NHL. They play in uh, Hobie Baker Arena, and that it was an outdoor rink, and then they enclosed it. So it's and still it's pretty cold, cold in there. You still have to, yeah, and there are plenty of games where I don't take my uh, yeah, uh, winter coat. Ryan has a theory that we're going to move to semi-outdoor games soon. Yeah, I think you won't, you'll never see this in the NBA, but for the NHL, you might see a team build an arena with a retractable roof because when you play in the football stadium or baseball stadium, the sight lines aren't as good. You're so far away. I attended a Michigan-Michigan State hockey game in the big house, and it was awesome, but you're so far away, right? But what what would it be like to go to an NHL arena and if the conditions are right outside, then you start to make hockey more of an outdoor sport? Which I think it would be really cool. From. So you were at that game, that Michigan-Michigan State game where they had 100,000 people at the big house? Yep. I watched that on TV. I thought that was the coolest thing. I mean, it's like they're going back to their days as a kid, playing outside, on the pond, just going for it, enjoying it. You see... When the NHL does it, you see adults act like children. They're excited to be back out there again. It's even more exciting when you go to a Flyers uh, playoff game (laughs) and they win or they win the Stanley Cup. That's even better. I would love to see that. I think a lot of Flyers fans, myself included, have become jaded due to the fact that we grew so accustomed to them winning. And a lot of that was a product of the fact that before the salary cap, the Flyers and their ownership at Snyder could outspend other teams at will. And in my eyes, they use that to maintain a competitive advantage and made the playoffs for 24 straight years. Funny, at this point, I look at it as um, I've been beaten down that I don't have the expectations anymore that they're they're going to make it. I get surprised when the teams are going on a run. I, I joke that I hope that by the time my son's old enough to enjoy it, we've got something to root for. I mean, it's it's frustrating as a fan right now, if you go through the rosters, there's no star on the Phillies. The Eagles now have a quarterback, but they have a lot more they need to do. The Sixers have health questions, even though they have two stars, but you don't know where they are. The Flyers have people coming up, but they're just not there yet, and they still have the same goaltending problems that we've had for years. So Claude is not a star, even though he leads the... League in scoring in the last five years? I think Claude Giroux is a star, but I don't think that there's enough other pieces on that team that fit, that make it go. You can't go games without scoring goals like they do at times. You can't have breakdowns on defense that leave your goalie vulnerable and then can't outscore the other team to get back. It's one thing if you're giving up three goals and score five a game. It's another thing if you're giving up three goals and you score one or two a game. The problem is that when it's, uh, it seems to be happening in Philadelphia that the off season and the draft is more exciting than the regular season and I feel so I feel bad well the now, draft will be more exciting this year because it's in Philadelphia and that's going to be a ton of fun on the parkway so we're going to have to figure out how to get there guys live broadcast potentially? Uh, we'll, we'll have to talk about that and work uh, on and, logistics and I'm concerned that Governor Christie was right about something that uh, we are cranky fans Shh. we are cranky fans because we have a city where the, all the teams except Villanova is winning I, I think that Fans are cranky, but I I don't go with the angry part of what he said. I See, think I the, felt for a while that people would be like angry about the Flyers, but it feels like the Flyers are just like an afterthought. It, they are resigned to the fact that this is what has happened. So the anger has sort of it's it's depressed by the 
the the lack of anything expected. Guys, any last thoughts before we wrap it up? Uh, somebody's got to win here. <laughs> that's Maybe per- the Flyers. That's, Let's hear the Flyers. <laughs> that's going to be our show quote of the day. Somebody's got to win here. Ryan, anything before we go? I'm excited for the Union to start their season in about two weeks. We'll be uh, covering it a little bit. We'll try and get some people on from the team, and Ryan will be out there giving us reports, telling us what's going on. And hopefully you'll, you'll uh, have me with you. We'll get and, to a game. Yeah, okay. we'll, so we'll get out there. Thank you, everybody, for joining us this week. We hope you enjoyed the show. Look forward to joining you back next Sunday. Everybody have a great week. Bye-bye.